Therefore, whoever hears these things of mine and does them, I will liken him to a man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Good morning. It is good to see uh, each of you. If you're visiting with us this morning, again, we welcome you. It encourages us to have you here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Uh, we do welcome the two new families, uh, the Miss Ebest and the Humphreys. We are glad that they are here. We look forward to worshiping and serving together. Uh, the thought of growth. Can you imagine what uh, the few individuals that gathered here for the first time in 1891, if you could have said to them, let's paint a picture of what's going to be here on this very same location 115 years from now. Can you imagine how it would have been mind-boggling? They would have thought there, there's really no way that could ever exist. Let me ask you, what do you think is going to be on this very same property 115 years from now? Can you imagine it? I don't think we can. But we can do the very best job that we can do to pave the way, to plan, and to set the next generation up for success. And so we want to encourage you, if, if you have uh, a great concern and, and want to uh, invest into the future generations of the Mount Juliet congregation, uh, you've seen in the announcements this afternoon at 5 o'clock and also after services tonight, shortly after 7, 7.15, there'll be a meeting. It's the same meeting twice, so we're just giving options so that everyone will have the opportunity to be here. If you want to learn more about the campus expansion and, and what's taking place right now and especially how you can be involved in that, please come and be a part of that meeting. It'll be informative, uh, is our hopes and our expectations, and also it ought to be a great encouragement to think about what God can do in this very place through us. And let's make sure that we're always willing workers. We continue in the month of February looking at relationships. And we're looking at these relationships under the heading, Are You Safe? You know, it's interesting when you think about individuals that if you could ask them who has hurt you the most in your life, I wonder how many individuals would say, my wife or my husband or my ex-wife or my ex-husband. Isn't it a shame the very relationship that God designed, one that would be a relationship of trust and protection, one that provide nourishment and love? is sometimes so abused and neglected to the point that that's where the greatest pain is, is felt. One poet has said, it is in marriage that everyone tastes a little bit of heaven or a little bit of hell. And so it is. The ones that sometimes we love the very most turn against us and create the deepest pain that there is. Friends, how would your spouse describe you? Would your spouse describe you as one that in this relationship, I'm safe with them? I've placed my life in their hands. I'm safe. I'm comfortable. I'm secure. Or would they say, I don't feel safe at all. I've experienced a lot of pain and I kind of dread the days that are to come. When we think about homes that have been built physically, 
In England, there was a house called Whitehaven. It won the National Home Builders Designer Award in 2005. Now, if you could take a tour of this home, you would see a home where the interior design is absolutely beautiful. You'd see all the amenities. You'd see the design with the glass front facing the River Avon. And everything about this house seems perfect. But probably one reason why it won this award was because of the way in which it was built, not just what was built. You see, there's a feasibility study done on the River Avon in the uh, 1990s. Because in 47 and in 68, there had been extreme flooding. They decided as a result of that feasibility study, there's nothing that they could do that would be effective and that could be affordable to create a safety barrier for homes that are built along this river at this particular channel of the river. And so now the only individuals that can build there with any kind of comfort level are individuals that's willing to build their house at least one story off the ground. If you'll note in the picture that you're looking at, that house is built upon stilts. As it was being built, it was referred to by others around, the house on stilts. But when it was finished, it was so beautiful, people overlooked the stilts, and now it's called Whitehaven. Now, isn't it amazing to think about building such a beautiful physical structure with such amenities, knowing that the very next flood, it would be destroyed? We'd say, that's a waste. That was foolishness. Think how many individuals, they begin with an elaborate wedding and and the bride is beautiful and the the groom is is handsome and, and they start out with everything that it appears they need. Maybe they both have jobs, maybe they both have health, maybe they both, uh, they have a nice apartment or a house to live in. And we look at that and, and by definition we say, oh, that's wonderful for that couple. But here's the question. Is it really wonderful if they've not built a relationship that can weather the storms of life? Friends, we wouldn't boast of the wisdom of building a home that would cost over a million dollars knowing that the next storm that comes by will destroy it. Why would we boast of a great relationship knowing that it will not endure the storms of life? I want to ask you, do you think your marriage would win an award? Are you safe in your marriage? Have you built a marriage that will endure? As we think about the various storms that we will confront, on a broad scope, we think of Rutgers' State of Our Union, where each year they write a very detailed analysis of what relationships look like in America. I want to share with you two of what could literally be hundreds of statistics that are found in this report. The good news is that even though uh, the divorce rate has has increased significantly since 1960. The good news is that it has slightly uh, declined since 1980, but that still leaves us with a 40 to 50% divorce rate among all married individuals. You see, we're talking about whether or not a marriage can weather a storm. If we look at America in general, are they safe? Please get this because this is building the punch to the first point in the lesson this morning. If we build a relationship that looks like everybody else in the world, we're at risk 40 to 50% of having a relationship that cannot weather the storm. And so this morning, we're not concerned about, does my relationship look like my neighbor's? Because odds are real good that either me or the neighbor won't make it till death parts us in a relationship. And then the second thing that is of interest, when individuals are asked, are you very happy in your relationship, only 60 to 65% could say yes, 
we are happy in that relationship. Now, that seems like, and it is obviously more than the majority, but is that really good when we stop and, and draw back and say, that leaves 35 to 40% saying, you know what? We're not divorcing. We're not a part of that 40 to 50% that have divorced, but we're also not fulfilled. We're also not happy. Is that what God wants in a relationship? Did God design marriage just to be something, well, I have to stick with it. I'm miserable. I can't stand it, but I have to stick with it. No, God designed marriage to be a relationship. God designed relationships to be healthy, to be fulfilling, to be sound, to be flourishing. Friends, this month, more than just studying, for example, marriage today, This month, if we can walk away with a greater concentration on what I can do to be a person that builds stronger relationships, something's wrong if my relationship with God is not flourishing and it's wrong with me. Something's wrong if I say, you know what? I just don't get along with my neighbors. I just don't do well with coworkers. I'm really not a kind of guy that's a benefit to my family. Something's wrong with my spirituality if I don't do well with relationships. And so today, let's begin this morning by looking at a foundation that what it would look like if we were to build a marriage that could weather the storms and that could have a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful relationship with each other and with God and that would last uh, as long as we both shall live. As we think about this, I'd like for you to think about Psalms 127 and verse 1 as we think about a blueprint. We have to have a blueprint to build. And the question this morning and even into this evening is going to be the fact, are we out of arrogance going to say, I know how to do it. I can do it myself. Keep in mind, that's what a lot of people do. And that's why the divorce rate is so high. And that's why others that aren't divorced are so miserable. Friends, the bottom line is I have to be willing to say this. It takes a lot of humility. I can't build a strong marriage on my own. You and your spouse can't do it. You absolutely cannot do it alone. The question is, are you going to allow the Lord to build your home? In Psalms 120 and 71, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who builds it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now, do we really believe that we're going to have to go back to God and we're going to have to go back to His will and to His way, to His blueprint in order to have the home that God would want us to have? We have a challenging uh, text in Jeremiah the 10th chapter and verse 23. Jeremiah 10 and 23, the prophet said, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Do I really believe that I don't know my own way through life? Do I believe that if I follow my own way, Proverbs 16 and 25, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. What are we talking about? We're talking about building a safe place to dwell in marriage. What about if I say, hey, I can do it on my own. Man has said that for a long time about every aspect of life. I know how to live my own life. I know how to live as as a married individual. I know how to raise children. I just know how to do it. I have this instinct about me. I came from great parents. On and on, we give the excuses of why we know it. And the Lord says, just let me warn you. If you want to do it on your own, you're on the way to death. You're on the way to destruction. We don't know it on our own. You see, as we think about building 
a house, we have to have a foundation. And the truth is the foundation would be the most important part of the home. It doesn't matter what you place on top of the foundation. If the foundation isn't sure, it all cracks and it all settles and it all falls to pieces. And so when we think about what's to be on this first level of the foundation, the very first level of the foundation is to be our relationship with God. The Scriptures. Going back to God on everything. The text that was just so capably read for us just a moment ago. Look back at that again in Matthew the 7th chapter and verse 24. Notice the house that did not fall in the first part of this story. It's one beginning in 24. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. That's like the individual who built their house upon the rock. It was the sayings of Jesus to hear them and to do them. And we see that the rain fell, the floods rose, and the winds blow, and it stood firm. But notice as we go to 26, the foolish individual was what? Who, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And then the same rains fell, and the floods rose, and the winds blew, and great was its fall. Friends, we see here the same obstacles in life are going to blow into our lives as into our neighbors' lives. Why will some withstand and have a healthy and a strong relationship, and why will others crumble by the side? It's based upon whether or not we've allowed the Lord to give us the blueprint. Whether or not we've allowed the Lord to build that house. And so it is, as we think about the first responsibility of the foundation is to go back to God into everything. The greatest gift you can give your spouse, the greatest gift you can give your children is to give them a spouse that is faithful and dedicated to God. Be turning, if you will, to Matthew, the 19th chapter. There's no greater gift that we can give each other than a relationship that is faithful to God. First, we must individually be whole in our relationship with God before we can profit and benefit the other. We have a very messed up view of Christianity and of Christian home. If our idea is, I'm glad I married a wife that's more faithful to God than I am because she's going to help me get to heaven. Friends, we're not going to stand on the day of judgment and give an account for each other. If you want to build a strong Christian home, you be right yourself in your relationship with God and your spouse be right themselves in their relationship with God and you put those two individuals together and you have a faithful Christian home. But there's no such thing as one being able to pull the other all the way to heaven. We're responsible for ourselves. So the first level of that foundation has to be that faithful commitment to God and to His Scriptures. But notice the second level here, and this is to have a husband and a wife that are committed to each other. We sometimes like to throw a pity party and, and act like we're living in the worst times. There's never been anybody that's gone through the challenges we have gone through. Well, people in the past didn't have to deal with the challenges that we as married people have to deal with today. That's not true by any stretch of the imagination. Married couples have always had the challenge and the opportunity to be faithful to God and faithful to each other. And there have always been individuals that have not lived up to that faithfulness. In Matthew, the 19th chapter, although it's not on the screen, I want to read verse 3, and then we'll go to what's on the screen in 4. The Pharisees also came to Jesus, testing Him, and said to Him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? 
Sounds like today, doesn't it? What would you have to say in order for a judge today to say, nope, that's not a good enough reason. I'm not going to grant you a divorce. I don't know if you could say anything. I don't think you even have to have a reason to divorce anymore. Well, you see, that's what the problem was there. Things were so bad then, it, it, people were divorcing for just any reason. And so they come along to Jesus, and it is a test. They're trying to trap Him, but still the idea is, are you going to be bold enough to say that, no, you have to have a reason to divorce? And of course, later on in this text, He teaches that there does have to be a reason. But notice what He does. Remember how we talked about that first level of the, of the foundation has to be God and our commitment to God? Notice here how he refers to God's word and to God as he says in verse 4. And he answered and said to them, Well, let's just study society. Let's look at the culture today and let's figure out what is a politically correct answer. No. He didn't say that. He says, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And then he adds in six, so then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. You see what Jesus is doing here is he teaches on commitment. He says, if we want to learn the most about commitment, just open your Bible. Go back and see how it was in the beginning. Read Genesis 1 and read Genesis 2. How many Eves did he make for Adam? How many Adams did he make for Eve? Didn't he make one male and one female? And wasn't that the design of marriage? And and wasn't that to be a relationship that would endure the test of time? He says, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that one man and that one woman that are committed to each other. That's what builds a safe place to dwell. Now, the Lord added, and what God hath joined together, let no man separate. Now, it's easy for us to understand the concept, don't divorce. But you know, it's hard for us to understand how to build a healthy relationship if that's the only angle that we approach that. In other words, instead of saying, hey, let's make this last for a lifetime, let's drop back and say, okay, if we're going to make this last for a lifetime, what in the world do we have to have in our foundation of commitment for this relationship to last a lifetime? Look with me, if you will, to the book of Hosea. In the book of Hosea, we have a challenging study as a prophet is told to go out and marry a prostitute. And in this, he's going to show by this life that God, even though Israel was leaving their first love, they were leaving the groom, the bride was leaving the groom, He's showing in this book how He's going to purchase back. And you know, when Jesus Christ came to this earth and He died on the cross, He purchased the church. And so we see mankind being bought back, even though mankind had not dealt righteously in their relationships previous with God. And so there's a lot of symbolism in this, but tucked in this symbolism, God talks about with the wedding type of language, with the marriage type of language, what a commitment would look like. And we're in Hosea, the second chapter. And I'd like for you to notice in verse 18, he says, "...and that day I'll make a covenant for them." And then he talks about sacrifices that would be a part of that covenant. And then look in verse 19, as he lists characteristics that are a part of a lifelong covenant. He says, "...I will betroth you 
to me forever. See the endurance there? Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. What a beautiful description that now we have something we can work with. I've got to tell you, when I look at this, now I start to understand commitment better. Because we say, God, when you say that you want to make a covenant forever, you want something that people can work with. They can understand your faithfulness, and then we can reflect that, and we can also be faithful. What is it that we need to know? And the first thing he would say is understand the duration of it. It is a lifetime commitment. Friends, I can't say I'm involved in a lifetime commitment when every other week I threaten my spouse, well, if you just keep doing that, I'll divorce you. That's not a lifetime commitment. How many times have we heard faithful Christians say, don't ever mention the word divorce to your spouse? Now, Matthew, in the 19th chapter, he gives the time that we should mention that word, the time that we can mention it. But that's when the spouse has been unfaithful. The idea that you've just made me so angry today, I don't know if I want to live with you, is not the time to give up on the relationship. Well, instead, what do we need? Keep in mind, if we are drawing the blueprints, we can throw out the word divorce at any time. We can threaten each other at any time. If the Lord is building the house, if we're following the Lord's blueprint, instead, what do we see? We see righteousness. You see, that's the standard. Let's go to the next screen and notice these as we develop them. Notice, we see righteousness, and righteousness is the standard. In other words, it's no longer how I would build this house if it were up to me. I'm going to build this house the way God would have this house to be built. Notice also justice. He says, I'm going to deal in a just way with you. The idea of justice is the very same as judgment. It's the idea of making the right decisions. In relationships... We can't continue to make dumb decisions and build strong relationships. If you and I are really committed to building a lifelong relationship, we need to allow God's wisdom to be our standard, and we need to pause before we say things and before we do things, and we need to make sure that this decision that I'm making right now is going to reflect God's wisdom. Now notice another thing he says there. He says loving kindness. Friend, God expects us to enjoy relationships. Please note this. God never designed marriage to be lifetime so that it would be a burden to us. He never did. He designed it to be lifetime so it would bless us. Because He designed it so that we would share in this with another individual that both practice loving kindness for a lifetime. What a beautiful thought that we'd have a friend to walk through life with. A friend that whenever the time was hard, they would be right by our side. Whenever there was something to celebrate, they'd be right by our side. That's the way God designs that lifelong relationship. Now notice also he mentions mercy. Do I have to tell you that you're married to someone that's not perfect? Now, if you agree that you're married to someone who's not perfect, you know what that means? You're going to have to forgive them. 
They're going to do things wrong. They're going to do things that hurt you. Now, I might go ahead and just remind you, if you haven't already thought about it, your spouse is really married to somebody that's not perfect. Now, what are you going to do? Are you going to hold grudges? You're going to hold grudges back and forth? Every relationship here that is healthy is the result of individuals that have learned how to forgive each other. If we can't forgive each other, we can't build strong and healthy relationships. That's the whole plea of Hosea. God saying, I can forgive you. Like you, you say to yourself, how in the world can a man go and buy a prostitute for a wife and then she goes out and she lives the life of prostitution again and he goes back and he invites her back home again. Someone says, how can you forgive like that? That's the analogy that God's saying, I want to show you how I can forgive. Forgiveness is a part of Christianity. It's definitely a part of a Christian family. But then notice that last one that he mentions when he talks about commitment. He mentions faithfulness. We have to be faithful to each other. Faithful in the way we communicate with each other. Faithful in the way we act to and toward each other. Faithful in the way we act to others. Making sure that we're faithful in our relationship with our spouse. Now as we think about this, I'd like for you to notice another tier. And you're probably noting the fact that each of these, we're not taking the time to make a lot of hands-on application because if we did that, each one of these tiers would be a lesson in and of itself. And so let's do this again with the next point, and we have to close this lesson. But we could spend a month on this next point alone. But it's so important is, and that is we have to have love. We have to have a relationship that's built on God and His Word. We have to have a relationship that is totally committed to each other, husband and wife. But we also have to have a relationship that a part of that foundation is love. When we look back into the original language, we see various words that describe various kinds of love. And to understand those, at least to a degree, would help us to understand what builds strong relationships. Storge is family love. It's blood love. Storge is that love that between blood brothers, they can be fighting in the front yard and a friend passed by and says to one of them, hey, you want me to help you beat your brother up? And both of them stand up shoulder and shoulder and says, get out of our yard. Now, wait a minute. If they're fighting each other, why, why don't they want help? It's storge. Storge is what causes adoptive children that, that grow up in great homes to still, uh, in their teenage years, in their early 20s, they still want to know, who are my biological parents? It doesn't have anything to do with their, with their uh, parents that have raised these children. It has everything to do with storge. It's that blood relationship. Blood is thicker than water, as the expression goes. It's also that, that when you're driving down the road, guys, and, and your wife hangs up the phone with, with her mother, and she says, oh, she makes me so mad. I can't believe she's the ficklest person I've ever met. And you're driving along, you say, oh, yeah, she is. I've never met anybody like that. She's the worst. And you get a backhand in the shoulder. Why? She can say it, but you can't say it. That's right. Why? Because blood is thicker than water. If we are going to be healthy in our relationships, we learn that we never go into the other side of the family and even agree when someone is putting down someone else that is a blood kin. Now, we shouldn't do that as Christians, but you definitely don't do it as storge. And you can learn that in the office place, in the workplace, and etc. Someone may be criticizing their own child, but you shouldn't jump on that wagon. It doesn't work that way. Now, a second love that we see is that of Eros. It is the sensual love. It is the love that begins by attraction and it is fulfilled in the physical relationship that God designed between the husband and the wife only. 
It is commanded to be fulfilled in 1 Corinthians, the seventh chapter and verse five. And if it's not, God says, if this love isn't practiced, you've opened the marriage up to the temptation of an affair. It's important that this is fulfilled. A third relationship, a love that is described as philia. You remember the city Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's the idea of that warm feeling. Notice, that warm feeling comes and goes. Your very best friend that you enjoy running around with, you like running around with them until you go on a two-week vacation with them, and then you're ready to get away from them. Why? Philia comes and it goes. I'm glad to be around you at the moment, and at the moment I'd rather see you go. You know what? In relationships with our spouse... There are some moments when we want to spend more time with them. There are other moments when we want to spend less time with them. That can never become the standard of whether or not we treat them in righteousness or wickedness. You see, that's where we come back to agape. Agape is the command. Agape is the standard. Agape is the decision to do what is right and best. Why did Jesus die on the cross? We say it's the greatest gift of love, and it, and it was the greatest gift of love. Was it philia? No. It wasn't a warm emotional feeling that sent Jesus to the cross. It was a decision to do what was right and best in his relationship with God, fulfilling the will of God, first greatest commandment. It also was his decision to do what was right and best for us, fulfilling the second greatest commandment, to love thy neighbor as thyself. Friends, if we really are going to practice agape in our marriages, we're going to make all the difference in the world. This is what separates the average marriage to the marriage that thrives and the marriage that survives the storm. It's when a husband and a wife say, I will give. Notice, agape is a gift because it's unconditional. It's sacrificial. Agape is saying, I will give you agape. It doesn't matter what kind of day you're having. It doesn't matter what kind of mistake you just made. I'm going to give you agape. You see, we return what's right and best no matter what's been dished out to us when we practice agape. When we read in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, we'll just mention it. You'll see it on the screen there. When This is the great definition of love. It is agape. It's suffering long and it's kind. Notice there's not emotions tied up in any of this definition. It's all a decision of what we do at all times. But I want you to notice the final thing there in verse 8. Love, agape, never fails. Friends, there has never once been a couple to go before a divorce court and say... We want a divorce because we practiced agape and it killed our relationship. Never has happened. Never will happen. Agape never fails. You're never once going to have someone to call you and say, I need to talk. Me and my spouse are having a lot of problems. And really what the problem is, we've both been practicing agape lately. And since we've both been practicing it, it's killing our relationship. It never happens. There's never been any destruction that's taken place when individuals give each other agape. Tonight, we'll come back and we'll put the structure and we'll put the roof on this house that the Lord builds. A house that is safe. He kept watching his watch as the nurse wound up his his wounded hand. And she began to ask, what are you doing? After all, he was over 80 years old. What kind of schedule could he have? And finally, he said, oh, I go by and I visit my wife every morning at the nursing home and and we eat breakfast together and I feed her. She says, oh, well, well, how is she doing? She's not doing very well. She has Alzheimer's and she hasn't known herself and hasn't even known me in over five years. And the nurse was surprised. You mean you still go by every morning and she doesn't even know who you are? And the man said, oh, yeah. She doesn't know who I am, but I still know who she is. 
That's agape. That's commitment. That's a decision to do the right thing in a relationship no matter what is offered in return. Friends, that's how safe relationships are built. Is your relationship safe? Is your relationship safe with God? Are you close to God? Are you right with God? Have you been forgiven by God? Have you received the grace of God in your life? If you've never been baptized into Christ for the remission of sins, won't you do that this morning? Or maybe along the way you've become a Christian, but you evaluate your relationships and you realize you've hurt people. You've hurt God. You've hurt yourself. The wonderful thing about relationships is God gives us the opportunity to start again. Most people are forgiving. Most people, if we're genuine, will let us start again. This morning, do you need to start anything over? Is there anything that we can help you with?